Hey everybody, how are we all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Fallen Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, I am in the middle of moving apartments, so if anyone notices weird audio stuff, that's to blame. Uh, Still figuring out how best to manage audio and noises both within and without of the room at this point. Yeah, that's that's always the real fun thing about like moving and you're doing anything that involves recording is that all of a sudden all the little tricks you've done now mm-hmm. no longer apply. And it's like, okay, well, how do I Oh no, there's a giant window behind me that's gonna cause a bunch of echoing. What am mm-hmm. I gonna do about that? If this, oh, this this room has a uh, vaulted ceilings and a window not quite opening onto the street, but onto a uh, corridor leading to the street, which turns out street sounds still get pretty echoey there. Ooh, yeah, I bet they do. Mm. Yeah, those vaulted ceilings, you, you can't do anything about that, no, man. No, no, those are just there. Yep. They're, they're very nice until you want to do uh, anything with audio, and then you curse their existence. Yep. So I'll, I will hopefully be figuring that out. Might look into the closet at some point, but until then... As a man who has done the closet, the closet solution, it is both effective and also very hot during the summer. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, today, Alex, we have an interesting episode. It It's going to be interesting in the sense of, well, let me just start by explaining how this episode even came to be. So, okay. last week we talked about Starfield. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all that, you said, boy, man, we really need to talk about Destiny someday. Oh, no. And that's when I furtively glanced over to my half-finished notes about the first year of Destiny and went, do do I write another episode? Do I just put space in between this? And then I said, no. (laughs) No, I'm going to finish this because I already wrote four pages worth of notes and I... This, this is not a full-time job, so I do not mm-hmm. have time to just to pivot like that. Yeah, so, fair enough. <laughs> because of that, Alex, we are going to be talking about Destiny. Specifically, year one of Destiny. Okay, that's <laughs> probably a good way to break it up, yes. Yeah. So, I actually had, before, um, before we even got to finished with all the notes and whatnot like i actually had a big old rant about like the differences of like different types of sci-fi from hard sci-fi to more mystical sci-fi and all that sort of stuff um and then i wrote about 10 pages worth of notes about the development of destiny mm. and i went you know what y'all understand what sci-fi is mm-hmm. there's a there's your star warses there are the star treks and mm-hmm. sometimes they're more about the hard science Sometimes they're about air quotes science, and mm-hmm. then it's more just a stand-in for religion. Destiny is interesting in that it kind of tends more towards that mystical sci-fi sort of bent. Right. And it's also interesting because, well, Destiny... God, how do I even pivot to this? You know, we have a lot of thoughts about Destiny, Alex. Boy, we sure do. We sure do. <laughs> it is... It is something that is, it's still an ongoing concern now. It is going to be coming into its final DLC for Destiny 2, or we think it is anyways. Who the hell knows? No one Um, knows. Nobody knows. I don't even think Bungie knows at this point. And 
essentially there's a good cadence with Destiny where about every, I'd say, four or five months, Alex, Mm -hmm. something will happen where we will just explain to either each other or to our friends about boy, you got Destiny is a mess right now. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about that. And then we spend like a good two hours talking about it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And of course, last episode on Star, on our episode about Starfield, you did talk about how Destiny is the game you've played the most, but hate, but like, like the least, if I think it was. The way I describe it is, it is maybe my favorite game I don't like, which is to say that it has so many cool ideas and interesting characters and like interesting directions it could go and so many things i want to like and do like but unfortunately that doesn't particularly extend to the plot the writing style or the gameplay loop yeah yeah it's a there's always just enough there that is intriguing right Mm -hmm. like and but it almost never comes together as a cohesive whole. Like what it yep. does, man, it hits so hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like the highs of Destiny and its sequel, Destiny Two, are incredibly high, but its lows and these next three podcast episodes are going to be about <laughs> the lows uh, are incredibly low, rock bottom low, mm-hmm. into the depths of hell low, even. Yep. Uh, Destiny, for me, is a game that has led to so many bad purchasing decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are definitely privy uh, to. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm aware. Like, I've made my share of bad purchasing decisions, but yours have certainly outranked mine. Oh, yeah. I just, I mean, where to start? Um, essentially, about every couple years, I will give Bungie about $100 to purchase, like, basically all of whatever's currently available for Destiny. Mm-hmm. So whatever the new expansion is, new seasons, what have you, uh, usually play the heck out of it, then get very disappointed and disillusioned, and then repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has led to me spending probably about $450 in various ways for Destiny. On top of also, like, the one time I just gave him 20 bucks so I could look like a robot man. Sure, as you do. Which was funny, because I technically already play as a robot man, but now my armor also looks like a robot man. Uh, I play as a warlock who has absolutely no good cosmetic options, and mm, this was the mm-hmm. one time when they had one, I went, I gotta jump on that shit. Sure, might <laughs> as well. I mean, it's a bit of a problem, because the game is a first-person shooter, so you rarely see it. Yeah. But, but still. <laughs> you, you see it in town, I guess. Yeah, you do. The status screen. Yeah, and like... The original Destiny is the reason why I got a PlayStation 4. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, I first played Destiny on the PlayStation 3, which is a perfectly competent version. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, 30 Mm. FPS uh, runs at 720p. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks shockingly good. Hmm. Uh, But it was like one of those things where it's like, well, I could get a PlayStation 4 and it will look better there. Right, yeah. It was one of the first games I got for the PS4 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. Like, I think that a lot of people went that route. And yeah, so because of that, it's led to like a very just like complicated sort of relationship and sort of feelings of just like both like disappointment and excitement and also sometimes weirdly shame at my own decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's something that I think is going to continue. Like when the final shape comes out uh, next February, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to buy it. I will not like Smart I, man. I I played Lightfall and I was just uh, that was the end. 
I was just yeah. out. Yep. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I, I think I'm only getting into the final shape because it's supposed to be the wrap-up to the grand story of Destiny. Right. My problem is that is what I thought Lightfall was supposed to be, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they lied to us or I just misunderstood. But at any rate, that the fact that it wasn't that combined with how mediocre Lightfall was, was just enough. Yeah. Like, I've I've given this so many chances. It's just not doing what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. It's if people like Destiny, that's totally fine. God bless. I'm I don't. I just I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can't blame you because it, it's not only that we have spent collectively a lot of money on Destiny. We've collectively spent a lot of time on mm-hmm. Destiny. And at a certain point, it, there is kind of the question of to what end, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you could apply that to any video games and you would get a very depressing answer at the end of mm-hmm. it. But Destiny somehow seems just worse for for what it does to you. Right. And, yeah, and it doesn't help that, like, you know, we might as well just kind of, like, hop into it and just, like, because, like I said, we could literally complain about this. This could be, like, our Starfield episode where I yeah. just sat back and literally complained for two hours <laughs> and was not anywhere near done. Yep. Uh, so. For those of you out there who aren't familiar, Destiny, the thing we've just been complaining about now for the past five minutes, is the Bungie-developed first-person shooter and a massively multiplayer online game that was initially published by Activision, then later Bungie, then sort of Sony now? Kind of? It's a little unclear, actually, what their deal with Sony is right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a series of first-person uh, massive multiplayer online shooters that has just passed its nine-year anniversary. It taking place 700 years or so in the future. It tells the story of the last remnants of humanity, protected by a mysterious power called the Light that has been given to them by a, gi- a giant dormant planetoid called the Traveler. As they battle against various alien foes who use an opposed aligned power called the Darkness. The story follows humanity, led by the Guardians, warriors imbued with the power of light as they fight these foes, revive the Traveler, slowly take back their solar system, and prepare themselves against the oncoming fight against the darkness, the cause of humanity's initial collapse and an ever-lingering threat to come back and finish the job of wiping out humanity and the Traveler once and for all. It's a story that was meant to be told over the course of 10 years, and I guess at this point it appears they're going to do that. Yeah, I guess so. Fair yeah, enough. which unexpected, as mm-hmm. we will get into. Uh, Bungie's uh, last, well, they haven't said it's their last, but it's going to be the last uh, story beat for this current story arc. Uh, the Destiny 2 expansion, The Final Shape, is coming out next February, and theoretically will bring the story of Destiny to a close, all, if albeit not the series as a whole, which, what would you even do with Destiny after you wrap that up? It's the I, Kingdom Hearts question, really. Yeah, I don't know. There's robots, I guess. Yeah, there we go. It'll just be, the Vex will do something. I don't yeah. know. Alex, nowadays, Destiny is a story that, while I'm not sure if it's actually good, does deliver on being a grand tale that is long, complex, intriguing, and personal on a level that I think a lot of video game stories aren't. Mm, mm-hmm. And, like... Those all sound like good things, but like I said, the execution at certain points is a little bit poor. It's it's hit or miss, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But they do nail them at certain points. Yes. Uh, it's a story that I think at times nails some pretty good emotional beats with certain characters such as Crow or Zavala and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And gives you plenty of reasons to actually care about them and care about the setting. It's by its very nature of being an MMO that's constantly moving the story forward. Uh, it also means that there's a ton of story and lore to the point that if you do drop off of Destiny for a bit, you can become very easily overwhelmed and lost mm-hmm. trying to catch up with what you have missed. To the point that I've been a little intimidated about talking about Destiny on this podcast. There's an awful lot of ground to cover. And even if we were to spend 10 hours covering it, I'm sure there's going to be things we're going to miss. Yes. But Alex, what if I told you that today's episode wasn't about Destiny's overabundance of story, but rather its complete and total lack of one? Uh, knowing how Destiny 1 launched, I would believe you completely. Yeah. Yeah, because in order to even begin covering Destiny, you have to go back to that beginning, Alex. We get to go back to 2014. When Bungie decided to go with a very interesting storytelling strategy, what if instead of telling our story, we instead ripped it out at the last minute, (laughs) rewrote it, (laughs) shuffled all the lore off to an external website, and then relied on the players making up their own story? I wonder how that's going to work out. (laughs) As far as first impressions go, I don't... I'm struggling to think of an MMO that has handled it worse. Like... Yeah, I I cannot think of one that's handled it worse and still, like, lived for, like, more than two years. And this includes Final Fantasy XIV, a game that was so poorly received, they turned it off, rebuilt it, and brought Mm -hmm. it back as a new game by way of apology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, ironically enough, Destiny 1's gonna kind of do the same thing. A little bit, yeah. Not as extreme, I'll say that much, but they're going to get close, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of amazing that they're going to come out of this gate and stumble so hard, and stumble in the way that they're legit going to be surprised about, mm. which, when I tell you about how this game was developed, <laughs> I don't know how they were surprised. Oh... But that's yeah, it, it's time if you haven't listened to our Halo episodes recently, go back and refresh yourself about Bungie's development magic for a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, how they how they have a tendency to go uh go, go in directions they maybe shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Now, to begin with all of this, Alex, we need to go back to the year two thousand and seven. So we're one year into the release of the Xbox three sixty. Microsoft's second attempt at making a video game console, and arguably only successful time making a video game console. I I wouldn't say arguable. (laughs) It it is definitive in my mind there. The 360 is the most successful iteration of the Xbox, period. What, you don't think that the Xbox Series X is is burning Uh... things up right now? (laughs) The system that nobody wants to buy? Man, we can't find any PlayStation 5s around here. Well, we have this Xbox Series X. Yeah. Nah, I'm cool, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so the, the first time they tried to make a console didn't go so well. But the second go at it was doing so much better. And it was about to get a sh- huge shot in the arm in 2007 with the release of Halo 3. The third game in the Halo trilogy, developed by the then known as Bungie Studios, Mm. Promised to finish the fight and bring the series to an exciting conclusion. And, to be fair, it did. It reviewed well and sold even better. 
$170 million in the first day worth of sales, better to be precise, and was the shot in the arm the Xbox 360 needed to make the leading console of the generation. The future seemed bright, with Microsoft, the owners of Bungie, looking forward to new and exciting games from them in the future. And some, such as like, maybe like, I don't know, more Halo titles, and mm-hmm. maybe a new Oni? Uh, um, hmm. Hmm. Interesting choice. As I've learned through researching this episode, they actually would have no opportunity to make Oni because the IP is owned by Take-Two. I, I thought that was the case, yeah. I yeah. vaguely recalled Oni not being actually theirs to, to own. It, it sadly was not. As part of the deal of Microsoft buying Bungie, they, Bungie had to release the IP to Oni to Take-Two. <sighs> Which, to be fair, boy, if an IP and a studio ever deserved each other. Yeah, right? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oni is the game I want most based upon literally a single-page advert in Electronic Gaming Monthly. Yeah. Yeah, no, just like all the the cyberpunky Ghost in the Shell-esque concept art and character art from Oni is like, man, that looks awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you interact with anything to do with Oni for five minutes and you go, hmm. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, actually. <laughs> Don't need to make a sequel to this one. Nope. Now, so, future's looking bright. Except there's going to be a problem, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bungie's kind of done making Halo games. Hmm. They kind of just don't want to do that anymore. That doesn't seem like something Microsoft will like. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Microsoft wanted more highly profitable Halo games. But Bungie, according to uh, community manager David DJ Dog, eh? Dej? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> David DJ Dej stated that Bungie quote, wanted to push forward in the industry rather than be tied to a franchise that had found success at the start of the century, end quote. Mm. There's also some rumors that after the success of Halo 2, and I think this is probably the real reason, Bungie tried and failed to negotiate better financial sharing terms for future titles. Mm. That, I'm going to guess that probably played a part. Yeah, probably has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But in short, they were tired of making Halo. Now, Microsoft had a controlling interest in Bungie, the company, at this point, so they could have made them just continue making Halo games. Mm-hmm. They, they could have totally done that. But instead, they decided maybe it would be best, in their best interest, not to hold a developer hostage and have them make stuff they don't want to make. Like, got a lot of criticisms about Microsoft. They do seem to be pretty consistent about letting their support studios do kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So Microsoft and Bungie came to a deal. If they made one more Halo game, Halo ODST, and then allow them to like retain a minority stake in Bungie and also give them the rights to the Halo franchise, they would just let them go independent. Now, this deal would eventually be expanded to include a second new Halo game, Halo Reach, but after this, Bungie would be done. They'd be free to do whatever they wanted. So 2010 rolls around, Halo Reach is released to even greater acclaim than Halo 3 was, and now... They are now called Bungie, the now called Bungie Studios is called Bungie LLC. Free to do whatever their little hearts desire. They immediately began work on what was then known as Project Tiger, a newly wholly owned IP, something that would not just rival Halo in size and scope, but surpass it in every way. A project so big, Alex, mm-hmm. that it almost immediately, they realized they mm-hmm. financially couldn't do it by themselves. <laughs> They're like, shit, this is going to cost a lot of money. (laughs) 
So they have to go and find a publisher who's willing to give them money while also giving them favorable terms at the same time. So funnily enough, this actually brings them back to the doorstep of Microsoft. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're like, hey, you want to give us some money to help us get this game across the finish line? And Microsoft says, sure, give us the rights to whatever you're developing and we will give you money. Now they say, uh, no. And so Mm. they go to Sony and ask them the same thing. And Sony gives them the exact same answer. Right. And once again, Bungie doesn't want to do this because they literally just gave up the rights to Halo for the freedom. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going to put themselves in arguably an even worse position. So with that, they were like, well, what can we possibly do? And then that's when another company showed up and gave them a deal they could live with. A little company named Activision Blizzard. The owners <sighs> of Major League Gaming. And also the first ever third-party video game company to ever exist and one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, North American third-party video game publisher. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technically, as of this recording, check back in a couple months, I guess. I I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Now, this deal was, in exchange for a pile of money and continued ownership of the IP, Bungie would be expected to meet certain profit thresholds as well as be expected to release four games over a 10-year period that Activision could market and publish. Now, this seems like a lot. Four games over 10 years that are going to be AAA-developed games is... That's that's a hard ask, actually. But for Activision, they were willing to put up a ton of money for this, to the tune of about uh, $500 million over the course of these 10 years. Mm, yep, that's yeah, pretty good. Pretty good, indeed. Money that would go to developing the engine for the game, the marketing, the supporting online infrastructure. And they need that supporting online infrastructure because this this isn't just going to be like a third-person shooter or a first-person shooter or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an MMO. A game game genre they totally have experience making and know how to get running, right? They absolutely have no experience getting up and running. Absolutely none. (laughs) So, massively multiplayer online games. Nowadays, they're kind of all over the place in one form or another. Like, mm-hmm. Battle Royale games are kind of massively multiplayer online games in terms yeah. of their infrastructure and whatnot. So, your Fortnites and whatnot, or your RPGs like Fantasy Star Online 2. Uh, you can find practically any gaming genre that has attempted X but an MMO, really. Right. It's something that, if it can be pulled off, is a proven and lucrative concept for success. One that can keep players in an ecosystem and continuously be milked for money. Mm-hmm. See literally the first two minutes of this podcast episode mm-hmm. if you want to get an idea. Now, this was not the state of affairs back in 2010, however. Sure, you have incredibly profitable MMOs, but they were almost exclusively in one genre. The role-playing genre. Right. Games such as EverQuest, Star Wars Galaxies, and even The Matrix Online were all successful but cut from the same basic template of the RPG genre. Mm-hmm. This isn't to say that they had to be an RPG at this time. There is the weirdness that is EVE Online. It does exist right now. Yep. But it's clear that if you want to operate in this space, there was it did appear there was a clear way you were supposed to do things. To the point that the game in this genre wasn't known as an MMO, but rather an MMORPG. Really happy they did short that to MMO. It's it's it's, it's kind of hard to say MMORPG over and over. Yeah. Yeah, that um, that was a good development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I highly approve of that one. Another thing is that in this industry, in 2010, the genre was had like stiff competition, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like, not only were there plenty of MMOs at this point, Activision Blizzard's own World of Warcraft had a market share of 58% of all MMO players in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was king. It was king. And that's kind of sucked the air out of the room in many ways. Yeah. I mean, this was roughly around the time of, like, the most recent great extinction of MMOs. Mm -hmm. When, like, just hundreds of companies threw their competitors at WoW and watched them die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, like, one after another. And, like, you would still have, like, some weird thing surviving, like, MapleStory or whatever, mm -hmm. but they were very much their own thing and, like, for other markets. Right, yeah, primarily appealing to, like, Korean or other East Asian markets. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, this is, like, this is the era of 38 studios and whatnot of, like, yep. we're gonna make an MMO. Oh, God, these are expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, MMOs were games that are... I mean, they're kind of like uh, like almost like Fortnite and whatnot in a way of like they're the single game a person plays, right? Like yeah, there are that's yeah, that's like the biggest problem is once someone's in an MMO, getting them to switch to a different one is very hard. Yeah, it is not an easy thing to do. So dangerous industry to get involved in if you're say a company that just went independent and wants to stay that way mm -hmm. and has no experience doing that mm -hmm. genre. Exactly. Exactly. Finally, the massive part of the MMO acronym was very much literal. Mm. Uh, these are games that required not only a ton of content to generate, but also a ton of supporting infrastructure, such as servers and people to maintain them, so they could deal with all the people connecting at once. And once the game was out there, an expectation that more content was going to be coming out on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. What this meant is that these games were not only expensive to develop, but expensive to maintain, to the point that other companies just as well-funded, either fail to release or afford to, like, maintain their games. Like, mm -hmm. There's a reason, like, a lot of MMOs would die, like, in year two, because player counts would drop, and they had no justifiable way they can keep it going. Right. Now, for Bungie, they did have two things to help mitigate these concerns. The first is that this game was going to be a first-person shooter with RPG elements to its gameplay. Mm-hmm. This was something that is entirely within their wheelhouse, what with them being the, the developers of the Halo series of first-person shooters. Right. And incorporating a genre into an existing MMO space might bring new players into a type of genre they might otherwise avoid, whether right. that's bringing MMO players into the FPS genre or vice versa. And I think particularly the idea of an MMO FPS mm -hmm. had floated around for a long time, probably since like Battlefield 2. Yeah. Um, but n there had even been like other candidates like uh, Mag back mm -hmm. on the PS3. There was this uh, Huxley, which I think came out, mm -hmm. Hellgate London. Mm -hmm. But none of them really quite delivered on what people were hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all never quite hit. And like Bungie was really banking on that they would be the ones who would do it. And I guess right. to be fair, they, they would eventually be the ones. Mm-hmm. And they would pave the way for things like Warframe later down the line. Right. Yeah, so the second is that they had very little experience, as we've already harped on, with the this ongoing always online type of service. But their publisher and essentially partners in Activision Blizzard were well suited to help with this. Mm. With them once again literally being the developers and publishers of the most popular MMO out there, World mm -hmm. of Warcraft. Combine that with the hype of Bungie developing something new and cool to follow up on Halo... And you had the appearance of what was like the best possible chance of creating a breakout hit in the space. One that would make everybody a ton of money. 
So for the next three years, Bungie got to work. They built a new game engine, created a ton of new assets, created the characters and fleshed out the story to connect everything together. And when they were ready, they invited a bunch of journalists up to Bellevue, Washington, where in February 2013, they announced their new game and franchise that would carry them through the next 10 years. Destiny. Real, real hubris to name a game Destiny, yeah. I have to say. Oh, oh, this project is just full of hubris. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just wait three paragraphs. <laughs> it's like they might as well have called it Icarus. They might as well. It would have been more apt. Um, <laughs> so Destiny was not going to be just a sci-fi shooter, but one where defenders of humanity would use mystical abilities powered by something called the light to fight against aliens powered by the darkness. Normally when games do things like be very high concept and just name things like the light and the darkness, I usually mm-hmm. hate it like an awful lot. Uh-huh. Weirdly enough, I've never hated it in Destiny. It it kind of works. It's something I was saying about this the other day, it's something Bungie kind of does well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how in Halo, quite a few of the main characters don't really have names that get used. They have ranks and titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just, I think they're just cool at, like, I think they're just good at picking cool names for things. That is true. Arbiter should not be a good name for something. No. But it totally is. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, the stuff they promised the journalists that day was ambitious. <laughs> It was to take place on various planets and moons in the solar system and be the first shared open world shooter. What this meant is that when players on, like, say, on Earth could be fighting enemies and whatnot, and then seamlessly another player could drop in, see this conflict happening, and come help you. They promised that not only would the non-playable characters and cutscenes tell the story of the game, but the players would tell it themselves. Oh, boy. Now, the example they used is the is an awful example, but is one they harped <laughs> on to so many journalists. Mm-hmm. And the example they had was somebody to, coming to help you to fight enemies with a cool gun. A gun unique to them that they earned themselves through their actions. Something that players could talk about and compare to their own equipment they earned through feats they did in-game. They're like, yeah, this, <sighs> they'll see that you have this gun. They'll ask where you got this gun. You're like, yeah, man, I had to fight these aliens and like, do this really cool thing. And they'll be like, man, that's so awesome. Look at this piece, this helmet I got. And it's like, as we'll, we'll get into it, a lot of the guns will be, and will be like, okay, well, just do this strike over and over and right. eventually it'll, it'll drop. And yeah. also, if you want to be good at the multiplayer, you need to get this one. Right. Yeah. You know, the way that people talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Helpfully. Yeah. <laughs> they expected, I think they expected people to interact with this game the same way Ubisoft, like, does their, like, multiplayer showcases at E3. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, people get a little too in there. It's like, we got a tango on our left. It's like, nobody's going to say that. Shut no up. No one, no one says that. Please. <laughs> oh, they're going to talk about vapes and then curse at you. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. Every character, every scene, every gun was all going to go towards telling a grand Star Wars-style story of humanity fighting against a common enemy. It was about as grand as you could expect from a video game. Oh, but it's going to get grander, though. Yeah. Because Bungie's not going to stop there. Because, you see, they have a lot of cash. $500 million Mm -hmm. worth of cash. Mm -hmm. Albeit not all at once, but still. Yeah, over 10 years. Over 10 years, but still a lot of money. 
and they want to make a big splash. So they decided those NPCs that are going to give you missions and move the story along, uh-huh. oh, they're not going to just be voice by voice actors. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. They're going to get actual Hollywood talent. Okay. And not stunt cast them either. <sighs> okay, we don't need to dwell on this. Um, mm-hmm. The short version is this is an awful idea. Yeah. Hollywood actors are not trained in voice acting. Voice no. actors are. Mm-hmm. If you need voice acting, hire voice actors. They're yep. good at it. They are very, very good at it, as it turns out. Now, to be fair, I'm going to say that the next three names that they do get actually mm-hmm. do a good job in the game. Sure. Uh, but it is still it is still a case of them being like, but they were in Hollywood, so we got to mm-hmm. get them. Yep. So for the va- roles of the Vanguard trio, basically the uh, leaders of humanity in this game, they got Gina Torres. Career mm-hmm. TV actress known for roles such as Jessica Pearson, Pearson in Suits. Helen Carter from Cleopatra 2525. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hell of a show. Hell of a show. So mm. bad. Watch the intro to that at some point. <laughs> you I, and the yeah. audience. It's, god, it's amazing. And Zoe Washburn from Firefly as well, which is, I think, mm-hmm. the big reason why they got her. Probably, yes. Mm-hmm. They got Lance Reddick. Who, if I had to explain who he is at this point, and you've been listening to this podcast, you're listening to the wrong podcast. He's great. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. And finally, they got Nathan Fillion, also a Firefly Flame, and also a person with history with Bungie, since he's the voice and likeness of Edward Buck, a character from Halo 3 ODST and Halo 5 Guardians. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not the biggest person they got, though. For the character. Oh, no? No, no. For the character of the ghost. A little flying robot helper. That's basically the game's way of giving you exposition. They got Peter Dinklage. Wow. From Game of Thrones? Yeah. From Game of Thrones. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you you too also read the press copies that ben, that Bungie set out when they're like, we got Peter Dinklage. <laughs> God. They would hype, man, so many journalists would talk about how, man, they got Peter Dinklage in this. Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? And it's like, should they know? No. I mean, uh, Peter Dinklage was all the rage at that moment in time. Oh, yes, he was. And for good reason. Like, you put the man in front of a camera, and mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, Unlike the other three, this guy, he's definitely not a voice actress we're going to find out. Yeah, yeah. So, for those of you who don't know who Peter Dinklage is, uh, at this point, he was on year three or so of playing the character of uh, Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones, maybe the last great water cooler TV show to exist. Mm. A role in show so popular that at one point he was making $2 million per episode. They got him, not in some sort of limited role, but what was essentially going to be the main character outside of your player character. Mm-hmm. And certainly the one with the most lines. Yeah, and that, that to be fair to him, they gave him by far the most lines and the most just techno babble mm-hmm. yep. to parse. And I have to imagine they would they told him to voice it intentionally detached because the lines that he delivers are the most detached, just like first pass ways you could possibly deliver any line about like, Oh, that wizard, he came from a moon. Or like, we're going into the world's grave. Oh no, not our grave, the world's. Like, stuff like that. Like, it, it is not a good use of Peter Dinklage, is what I'm going to say. 
Yeah, no. Again, most of the time he's effectively giving you, like, tutorial slash directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, maybe once in a while interacting with a character in a cutscene, but still. Right. Now, if you think this is going to come back to bite Bungie, you are fucking right, it will. Because <laughs> <laughs> eventually Peter Dinklage is going to get a little too important for Destiny. Yeah. And by too important, I mean basically right after the release of Destiny. Because he is going to have no voice lines in any of the the ghost anyways. He's not going to have any voice lines mm-hmm. in any of the DLC past this. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably, he was too important for Destiny when they signed him. Yep. But, uh, well. Mm-hmm. Well, they did it, though. Yep. Take your shot, I guess. Take your shot. Oh, speaking of taking your shot, uh, Alex, I lied. This wasn't mm. the biggest person they got. Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, the actual biggest person they got was Sir Paul McCartney. Oh, they sure did, didn't they? They sure did. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> wow, God. Oh. <sighs> Hubris, just pure hubris. Pure hubris. Although it is another case of where they like shot their shot and mm-hmm. they, he took their meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. He sure did. There's a really good long form article on Polygon about this, uh, about how this even came about. That was just literally uh, the main composer of Destiny, Marty O'Donnell, being like, mm-hmm. he talking of like his agent essentially and being like, his agent being like, well, who would you want to like work with you on this? We can get so much Hollywood talent and whatnot. And mm-hmm. he's like, Paul McCartney and his agent being like, I don't don't think that's going to happen, but I'll reach out. <laughs> and it just like worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. His agent asked. He gave the answer. He did Can't indeed. Can't fault him. Can't fault him. So Paul McCartney is going to work with Marty O'Donnell to help compose the soundtrack to the game. Uh, there are some people who go like, well, you know, Paul McCartney didn't really do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh that's not true. He's going to help uh, compose five different songs for this game, including one vocal track as well called Hope for the Future. Uh, Hope for the Future plays in the credits. Mm. It is a really bad song. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really bad. There's an official music video on YouTube, by the way. Mm, of course it, there is. Yeah, you can listen to it on Paul McCartney's uh, YouTube channel if you want to listen to a song where a hologram version of Paul McCartney awkwardly stands around while Destiny characters emote. Mm. It's it's real bad. It's boy, we thought you thought we left the days of Omicron behind. Nah, nope, nope. And it's oh god, it's I'm sorry. This video is this video is great because like you'll just like it's like f like 20 fps Destiny footage is. <laughs> Like, a blue version of Paul McCartney is being projected by the ghost as he just barely moves his hands, thinking about hope for the future, hope for me, hope for you. And then, like, Destiny characters awkwardly walk in and then just sit down. And it's like, oh, no. Who thought this looks good? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Oh, so I'm also going to get out in front of this right now. Uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be a huge blow up between Marty O'Donnell and Bungie that's going to result in lawsuits, countersuits, mm-hmm. uh, a whole bunch of drama. That is incredibly fascinating. Mm. Um, it is also completely outside the scope of this podcast episode. Right. Yep. Because I don't think it affects the plot and itself can make up an hour long episode. Yeah. 
I am heavily considering doing an episode about it, so uh, you might want to stay tuned for that one because <laughs> it's it is maybe some of the stupidest lawsuits I've ever seen. <laughs> so yeah, all of this talent, all of this money, it's being spent. It's looking great. Trailers are being released at E3. Information is being trickled out via news sites and posted on the official website. And the hype is building. The hype? It is the most hype I can remember a video game having Mm -hmm. since, like, the PS2 era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was going to be the big thing. Like, 100%. The words will change gaming forever were thrown Mm -hmm. around. Like, they absolutely just, were. It's indescribable how hyped up this game was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it, and it helps the fact that like Sony's going to sign a lucrative deal with Activision to like basically give them exclusive content and mm-hmm. make them the centerpiece of their push for the PlayStation Four that was coming out mm-hmm. in 2013. So like, yeah, like it was just like 100 percent like, no, this is going to be the biggest thing ever. This is going to put Sony back on the map as the top dogs. This is going to change gaming forever. And yeah, like all the trailers were like these slow walking, like the sun coming up and illuminating like the planet of Europa and all this like stuff. And like, mm-hmm. look at you flying in space, fighting wizards, exploring <laughs> a terraformed Venus, all backed up by an epic story from the minds of Halo and scored by Paul McCartney. Like, how could this not be the biggest thing in the world? How could it not? Mm-hmm. And then on September 9th, 2014, the release date hit. The game was released to the excitement of the gaming community. Alex, it's funny. It's mm-hmm. There seems to be something about games set in or dealing with space that have a mm. real tendency to get a little too hyped up. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think it the sci-fi genre mm. tends to easily overinflate itself in people's expectations. Yeah, yeah, they, they really do. Like, it's... And she usually about this like grand scale, right? You know, yeah, it is like the scale and the limitless potential of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's also because space is big, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally big and full. As you mentioned, the infinite possibilities. That yeah. Just be- Once you go out into space, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. You could find anything. You could do anything. You the can. The rules of the Earth no longer apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, physics gets strange. Like the discoveries we're making about physics and how they could potentially be malleable, for instance, mm-hmm. under certain gravitational conditions. Like, like stuff like that. It's like absolutely nuts. Like, but it makes people crazy, right? It makes people mm-hmm. a little crazy. A little bit. A little bit. Like, like, look how disappointed people were with, like, Mass Effect's planetary, like, exploration. Right. A, a small part of the game uh, whose focus was on something entirely different, right? Mm-hmm. But people still bring up that part of the game as being boring and, and like, just absolutely terrible. They talk about how it was missed opportunity, even though it's something you don't have to engage with at all. Mm-hmm. And... I, I- Sorry, just to keep the tangent going a second. I think it's also a little bit that, like, it's so rare for a game to actually scratch that particular ish. Mm-hmm. Like, there are not that many great space exploration games. No, there's not. To the point that even, like, a t- decent to okay ones are, like, kind of well-regarded just because it's the best you got. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, your elites and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, 
my point with all this is that this seems to happen, though, like every, I'd say five years or so, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, we see it nowadays in Starfield, released yep. roughly three weeks before this episode is going to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that in No Man's Sky five mm-hmm. years ago. And then five years before that, we're going to see it in Destiny. Yep. Yeah. Now, people just, and that's because people just expect you to be able to explore, interact, and do things that I don't think are expected from other settings. Right. Especially if you've gone out and you as a developer have hyped these elements up even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm going to say that it's not wasn't a huge surprise that Destiny came out and was a featureless void of a game with basically no story, and people were pissed. <laughs> Also, it was an MMO on launch, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, you know. yeah. Yeah, no. There's never been an MMO launch that has been well-received. No, no. No MMO has ever launched with, like, a significant amount of content to mm. keep people going. No, no. And Destiny somehow going to surpass all expectations with that. Or fail the bo- to reach uh-huh. that bar, maybe is more accurate to say. Yes. Because, see, Alex, it wasn't that the game just had no story the actual gameplay loop was slight and relatively the same from mission to mission on Mm. top of the just not being a whole lot to it in the first place Mm -hmm. like the structure of destiny i think was like 20 story missions uh and then there was a bunch of repeatable content uh seven strikes i think which were like Mm. team-based like set piece missions that were really cool but also Mm -hmm. only seven of them Right. And then a raid, a big six-player epic battle that was incredibly long, that was like a, more like a puzzle to get through. Right. Uh, that is easily the best part about Destiny, consistently. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what all you- What was the launch raid, Vault of Glass? Yeah, Vault of Glass. Eh. Yeah, you know. In, at the time, Vault of Glass was great. It's, it's kind right. of poor now compared to what is available, but- Yeah. Now- on top of all of that, though, that, that relative lack of content, it was made even more galling given that the PlayStation versions had extra strikes and activities and, like, guns and everything. Like, those seven strikes, I believe two of them were PlayStation only. Wow. So you mean you, you couldn't play those strikes on the PC? I mean, you couldn't play on the PC until <laughs> Destiny 2 about five years later. <laughs> And if you're an Xbox user, I'm sorry, you were shit out of luck, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an insane decision, honestly. Um I mean not for Sony, but <laughs> mm, yeah, obviously, yeah. But but for Bungie and Activision, not great. Not mm-hmm. a great decision. And that's to say nothing about how the story seemed to be bolted on at the last minute. Those characters voiced by those actors and actresses we mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Well, they basically barely had any lines or presence in the story to the point that most people, including myself, had barely any idea what their deal was. Like, you would walk up to Commander yeah. Zavala and he might give you a piece of armor and that was right. it. Yeah, boy, I forgot how much those people weren't characters for, like, a few years. I We'll learn this next week when we talk mm-hmm. about the plot of Destiny and its two, first two expansions, but... Like, I don't even know if they were in the cutscenes. I feel... Like, I, I, my brain says they had to be, but I, I don't remember they, them. They must have been. They must have they been. They must have been, right? Yeah, stay tuned for next episode when we find <laughs> out if that's true or not. The fact that... But here's the thing. The fact that mm-hmm. even any question should tell you how little impact they had. Whereas, it's, like... Yeah. Whereas, like, nowadays, like, Zavala and Cade and Ikora are integral parts of the story and very beloved yes um 
Now, there is an explanation as to like what their deal is and what the entire world's deal is, but that's going to be locked behind something so stupid that's going to require its own explanation. So we'll get to that later. Okay. Critical reaction was poor. The game currently has a Metacritic rating of 76 over 100. Something that was a bit of a surprise to Bungie and Activision themselves. Uh, they had internal review scores pegging the game at roughly about 90. Which, I don't oh know how. Boy. Yeah, that, oh boy, you want to talk delusional. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get even more delusional when we talk about what went wrong. Like, cause I don't know, mm. I don't know how you could look at what went wrong and go like, nah, this is going to be fine. It's a very much like Bioware magic of like, no, we'll just fix everything in the last week. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so they had this game reviewing much higher, but they probably shouldn't have been given that there was a blog post also released on September 4th, 2014, where they talked about how they weren't allowing early reviews because, quote, we don't believe Destiny is a typical shooter, and we have also learned that Destiny isn't Destiny without the most crucial component to our living social world. You, the player. <laughs> I mean, there is a little bit of validity to... It's, it'd be really hard for you to review our MMO without massive amounts of multiplayers in it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, yeah, that's kind of true. But also, like, come on. Right. Yeah, because, like, that's the thing. The way they set it up is that you'll be in a mission and then people will show up and help you out just randomly. Mm-hmm. That never happens in missions. Right. That never happens in strikes. Right. Like, that just just does not happen. It's never happened in Destiny, and I don't think it's ever going to happen in Destiny. Probably not. So, it's a very... So, like, looking at that in retrospect, it's like, no, they could have totally reviewed that. You just... Mm -hmm. You get three to six uh, reviewers into the same server, and you will accomplish what you need to do. Right. So, what went wrong? Well, everything, really. But we're going to (laughs) focus on three things. One, asset generation. The lifeblood of an MMO is plenty of repeatable content you can do over and over again to grind mm-hmm. out better loot. Now, Bungie had three years in order to produce all of that, and he got nowhere close to having enough content. I, I have heard admittedly unsubstantiated horror stories about Bungie's asset generation pipeline. Oh, we're going to get to that. Days. Okay. Oh, we are going to get to that. Because <laughs> they are very much not unsubstantiated. <laughs> But yeah, they have to generate a lot of content, and that's going to be one problem. But another Mm. problem is that fidelity is a thing, right? Uh Uh-huh, yep. You see, most MMOs have the view of the action from a top-down or isometric perspective, Mm. away from things like the character model, background elements, the enemies, and the like. Mm -hmm. This has a nice added effect for developers in that you don't need to put as much effort into each individual asset in order to make them look good. Mm. Mm -hmm. Bad news for Bungie. Their game is a first-person shooter. Yep. And even if they put that level of detail, people would, like, notice it. They would walk up to it, see how poor it looks, and then they would complain about it. Mm-hmm. So they had to spend more time polishing assets as opposed to building levels or interesting set pieces. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, like, sort of for that reason, MMOs just aren't the best-looking games in the, even their own genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, typically not. But... Bungie wanted Destiny to be the best looking. They did. And I mean, that's based upon the reputation they had to keep, right? Like right. the Halo games were constantly technical marvels, right? Yeah. Like early examples of like bump mapping on consoles were in Halo mm-hmm. 2 and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
So, like, the idea that they would, like, step back from that would be seen as, like, a huge loss. Right. Like, people would notice that. And so they had to put all of this work into this. Uh, you know, not that they really could because, point number two, the game engine and level editor were a nightmare. <laughs> so for this game, Bungie built an entirely new engine to power the game. It was an impressive piece of tech. The game feels great to play and mm-hmm. even looks great 10 years on, honestly. Yes. Yep. Agree. The problem was that it was a nightmare to do anything in it development-wise. Mm, that seems bad, especially it, for, an, for a live service game. Indeed it does. So picture this, Alex. Uh-huh. You want to do some edits on a location in the game. Uh, let's say okay. Mars. Mm-hmm. So you open up the map editor. You make your edits. You save the file. And you close it, right? Sure. Yeah. And that's exactly what you do in Destiny. But you see, the maps were highly compressed. A byproduct mm. of getting this game to run on last-gen consoles such as the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, keep that level of fidelity and keep it streamlined, they sort of had to do that. Mm-hmm. So you, the developer, would go in to open these maps, and then you would have to wait eight hours for it to decompress and load. Now, I mean, I feel like they should have just saved compression until they, like, finalized development on it. I think... Mm, so yeah. they really couldn't because since they were having to test this out on the PlayStation 3 and uh-huh. Xbox 360, they had to make sure that these could be tested out in an actual live environment. Right. So unfortunately, that was not an option okay. for them. yeah. So obviously, you can't do that during your workday. Right. So what developers would do was that they would open it overnight and then come back in the office in the morning to do their edits. Except, oops, sometimes the importer software would just fail, and congrats, you better have something else to do that day. Right. Yep. Now, if it did work, it would still take 20 minutes to open the file from the importer, and then you would get the chance to make your changes. Then an additional 20 minutes to recompile the file, all to do things like, say, shift an enemy group a few inches to the right or something. Mm Mm-hmm. It was unsurprisingly one of the worst ways you could build a video game. <laughs> and yet somehow it wasn't the worst thing that could happen to the development of this game, which leads us to point number three. So over the summer of 2013, after the game had already been officially revealed, journalists mm-hmm. have seen it, got an overview of the story. Mm-hmm. And a little over a year before the release of Destiny, uh, its delayed release date, technically the game was supposed to come out in March 2014, mm. Joe Staten the lead writer for Destiny, and his team of writers walk into a conference room. Now, Staten is a longtime employee at Bungie at this point, mm-hmm. having been with the company since 1998. Mm. Wow. Yeah, quite a long time. He actually met mm-hmm. uh, developers from Bungie on a, uh online server for Myth, one of Bungie's games, and just hit mm. it off yeah. and got a job. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he was also the director of cinematics for the uh, Halo trilogy. Okay. As well as having some writing duties in-game. Mm-hmm. He was also responsible for writing the book Halo, Contact Harvest. A book that was a New York Times bestseller and actually reviewed well as a general piece of sci-fi writ- literature. Hmm. Now, my point being is that he seems good at his job. Right. Yep. So he's walking into this meeting today with Destiny's, pro- Destiny's project lead Jason Jones and other senior leadership. There he planned to show a supercut of the game's story with completed cinematics and the like. This supercut was important because not only was it going to be the story of the game, but it was going to dictate the overall flow of the game, 
down to mm. what order of planets the player was going to visit, and even mm-hmm. the overall order of the missions. So this was very important, and when it was showed off to the higher-ups of Bungie, they hated it. Tore it apart. They just thought it was the worst. Now, reports vary as far as what managers' like nuance take on the story was, mm-hmm. but employees in the company felt the story, and this is... Highly controversial. Some employees liked it, some employees didn't, but sure. the ones who did not felt the story was esoteric and very high concept, and just plain confusing in some places. We'll go over the plot treatment next episode, uh-huh. uh, but needless to say, what we will eventually get in Destiny is going to be highly different from what was proposed in this meeting. Now, Jason Jones himself took issue with how the mission structure was laid out, wanting it was a very linear thing. Uh, mm-hmm. From going from planet to planet. I can introduce the planets like right away. You start on Earth, go to Mars, go to Venus. Uh, I think go back to the moon. And then mm. missions would go, just be all over. Okay. But what Jason Jones wanted is that he wanted more player freedom. So he wanted players to just be able to pick what planet they wanted to go to and just do all the missions on there. And then they can go to another planet and do those or hop around if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, Jason Jones and the... Others were like, okay, well, this obviously is not going to work. So they're going to do something radical. They're, they decide they're going to scrap everything about this pitch. The story okay. going to be completely reworked. The missions, rejiggered and reordered. The cinematics, some would remain, others redone, and that includes the voice lines. Was there no point prior to this where they could have hashed all this out before all this work had been done and the deadline had gotten so close? That's the thing. It had to have been at some point where where Staten had to have gotten like the okay to do some of the ideas he was doing, right? You you would think like it's not to like diminish the importance of it in in the product, but from a content generation standpoint, story writing is like nothing. It's words on a page, and you show them to someone and mm-hmm. go, "How do those words look?" Mm-hmm. And then they go, I don't like these words. Make different words. Yeah. Yeah. My only guess is that Bungie has been for a long time a very tight-knit company. Mm. Uh, The people who are in Bungie are essentially lifers. And so I would not be shocked if there was just a certain amount of leeway that's given to certain people. Right. Um, You know, people like, you know, like State and whatnot are just – allowed to kind of do what they want to do because it has proven to work in the past. But then you pull that leeway back at the last minute? Yeah. I get that. That's like the crazy thing is like, yeah, they decided not to see it through and trust it. They just look mm-hmm. at it and say, no, this can't work. And well, as we're going to later see, it's going to, it's going to burn some bridges. Yeah. Cause, and that's the reason why it's, that's why I think, um, there was just a lot of leeway given, and it was just sort of the expectation. That was sort of the expectation at Bungie, because long story short, uh, Staten's not going to remain with the company very long after this. September twenty fourth, twenty thirteen, Bungie announces that Staten has left the company to pursue new creative challenges, mm. and it should be noted the split was not amicable. Yeah, uh, a lot of this information I should point out does come from an incredibly good uh, article that Jason Schreier did for Kotaku back in mm. twenty fifteen. Called the mess, I believe it's the messy history behind the development of Destiny. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be linked as part of the show notes, uh, along with other notes that I have done for this. Uh, so I have no no reason to not believe this. So 
What this is going to result in is a total rework of the game nearly one year before a relatively hard deadline of September 9th, 2014. Once again, they're going to get a delay from March to to this date in September in order to mm-hmm. give them some slightly more breathing room. Uh, and Joe Staten is going to be completely against all these changes and he's going to be completely overruled. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're in a bad position. Long right. story short. So, uh, shit, what are we going to do, says Bungie Management? Well, what they're going to do is they're going to keep much of the core lore and mythology that Staten has created. Stuff like the Travelers, the Guardian, the enemy races and whatnot. They're going to keep all that because those assets have already been created. And as we mentioned previously, that's a lot of work. And they do not have time to make new ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jones, Jason Jones, then got his team of creatives together, such as art director Chris Barrett and design lead Luke Smith, and put him in meetings he would call the Iron Bar where they would work assigned a design team called Blacksmith in order to create essentially a new story by committee and figure out a new flow for the gameplay regarding the missions and activities <sighs> in the game. As an aside, one thing I have always go back and forth on Bungie is they mm-hmm. always have really cute names for everything. Boy, they sure do, don't they? God, the Iron Bar, Blacksmith, mm-hmm. uh, all their error codes are stuff like Baboon. Mm-hmm. It's... It's something that it's like, oh, that's cute. And then other times I'm like, I just, just give me the actual, what the actual error is instead of just telling me to <laughs> Google baboon. Uh, but yeah. So they're going to do all this. They're going to spend all this time making this happen, which is valuable time that probably could have been applied towards, you know, making more content that they now can't do. Right. Uh, or just like fleshing out the parts of the story you thought were missing. Mm hmm. Like yeah. If you need more personal element, just add it. Yeah, right? Course correct. Don't start over a year from deadline. Unfortunately, Alex, they they were going to go with that hard restart. And it's going to be fine. The game's reviewing well internally, so it'll be fine. So, now, as part of this reshuffle, they're going to cut a lot of content. So, mm. now, some of this content may have not made it into the final game in the first place because they were already butting up against a pretty tight deadline. But this includes content such as uh, areas such as the Hive ship called the Dreadnought or mm. a new area called the European Dead Zone. Stuff that is going to show up in uh, later in Destiny and Destiny 2, respectively. Mm. Or the entire mood of Europa. All this is going to be cut out. Uh, characters associated with these areas, like the characters of Rasputin, Crow, and Osiris, are also cut or reused in different ways. I'm sure that's fine. Those characters don't sound very important to the plot. Not at all. <laughs> cut to five years later. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's so oh, it's bad. so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as one anonymous developer related to journalist Jason Schreier, as part of his article that he wrote, quote, the priority was... Hey, we have to take a bunch of content that we spent millions of dollars on. We need to cobble it together in a way that's not going to break continuity, and we've got to do it quickly, end quote. So this weird slicing and dicing applied to how the missions played out in the game as well. And this is very relevant for plot-related reasons, because a lot of the plot is told during these missions. Mm-hmm. Usually your ghost is going to do expositionary dialogue during them. As one developer explained, what they would do is that they would have a mission that goes from point A to point C, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, B, C, D are all in between that. But then one day somebody would decide, hey, what if we just cut out the middle of the mission, point H to point N or whatever? Mm-hmm. However, point H to point N are essentially complete. 
and they have like a really cool encounter in there that's a lot of fun. So then they would try to figure out how they could pull it on to an entirely different, unrelated mission. Because, hey, we don't want to dish that content. Because, honestly, we can't afford to dish that content. And during this content, there would be voice lines and cinematics moving the story along that would have to be reworked as well. Mm -hmm. This is apparently going to happen with every mission. Which, honestly, thinking back to my experience with the Destiny story of how it just sort of ends... In a mm-hmm. really awkward space, and how, well, literally every mission ends in a really awkward manner. I'm like, oh, yeah. 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 No, Think- this checks out. Thinking back on, like, side missions especially. Some strikes, but particularly side missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels like, well, here's this content. Uh, we didn't know where else to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We just, we had to stick it somewhere, so this is where we're going to stick it. Yeah, and... uh not going to work. It's not going to work. No. Now, this all might seem like an unsustainable way to build a story, given that we only have about a year and change left to redo what feels like an entire game. And you would be right. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the design team realized they simply didn't have enough time to, well, put a story in the game. Mm. Or at least the one they intended. So with just a few months to go, they buckled down and focused on polishing how the game felt to play putting the narrative in the background. The writers left over from Joe Staten's team after after he left were sidelined and ostracized. Uh, as one anonymous developer would share, the story was written without writers. Now, this isn't to say that there wasn't any story, Alex. Or lore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lore. Lore, lore is good. Yeah. If you're going to tell a grand story... Spanning multiple planets and generations, there you're going to need some lore about who are these people, what's going on. Exactly. What's happened during that 700 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be in the game. And by in the game, I mean, it actually isn't in, in the game. In the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what I mean is that there is story and lore. It's just done in maybe the most baffling way I've ever seen it done. Mm. So, Alex, let's say you wanted to learn about how the world of Destiny came to be. What a certain character's deal was. The history behind this cool gun that you're going to write a story about with your actions or whatever dumb shit they said to journalists before the game yeah. came out. I mean, to, to quickly interject, if I thought of a good way to do that, I would think of Mass Effect's Codex. Yeah. Where you could uh, look at a screen in the pause menu for helpful side information. It's And if I were to think of a bad way, I would think about Fall Fantasy XIII, mm-hmm. which is essentially that same thing, except... All the plot critical information is in that screen in the pause menu. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you don't know what's going on until you read it. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I really loved Mass Effect's Codex. It was great. It was the best. Yeah. Yeah. And then every company saw them do that when we could do it ourselves. And they, like you said, they would just do it bad. Yeah. It's, it would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So good news, though, Alex. Mm. You can learn all about this. All about the story and lore. If you find certain objects in the game world or complete certain challenges and get grimoire cards. <laughs> oh, cool. So that unlocks it in your codex in the pause screen. No! <laughs> <laughs> grimoire cards are collectible cards that are added to your Bungie profile. And once added, you can look at them on either a phone app or Bungie's websites. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why they did this. I know why they did this, but I don't know why they did this. I, I, I know why. It was literally the only thing they had time and resources to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But still. It, and- it, it killed it for me. I never once looked at a single Grimoire card. I did too, but the Grimoire cards themselves are going to have such a problem. Like, just by themselves mm-hmm. with how they present their information. It's... Because, like, first off, like... It's not enough that you have to find these objects. Like, these objects right. would not be located in areas where other players would be in the overworld. You would have right. to basically run down quarters that would be, res- like, reserved for, like, missions. Mm-hmm. Which are usually, like, empty and lifeless or have, like, a few mm-hmm. enemies. And there's no reason to ever go there. Except there might be, like, a ghost shell or something you could find that only spawns here in the overworld. Uh, it doesn't spawn on the mission that you actually go in on. No different right. ghost shells will spawn on those missions. Of and course. you basically have to locate them all in order to get all the lore that, as it turns out, is not going to explain shit about the game. Because <laughs> <laughs> even though the vast majority of Destiny story and lore is not in the game, but shuffled off to a website that even I, a crazy person who played all of Destiny, barely interacted mm-hmm. with... It still was not guaranteed to actually give you any sort of lore that you could act upon. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Now, this was because of two reasons. The The first mm. reason is because sometimes it would just be a card that would have nothing on it. It's like, ah, it's, here's a card. Congrats, asshole. Uh-oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes it would reveal something rather critical to the overall setting. <laughs> now, even if it was a piece of story content... Sometimes it would be presented as, like, a riddle or a snippet from a, some dude's journal taken out of context, and thus <sighs> difficult to figure out how it all fit into the story. Now, for some people, they did legit like this aspect of piecing it all together, but mm-hmm. for others, like myself, it felt like useless busy work that resulted mm-hmm. in just a bunch of confusing lore, most of it that wouldn't be, like, acted upon or answered for a good uh, five to six years. Great. There's a lot of stuff about Osiris that is going to just not be relevant until about year seven of Destiny 2. <laughs> I know it's out of the scope of this particular series. God, I can't wait to talk about Osiris. Osiris is the dumbest thing with the dumbest He's, plot twist. It's the worst. And it, it's not even just what they did. How they did Osiris mm-hmm. is the worst. Ugh, yes, it is absolutely terrible so the game launched on september 9th 2014 and was met with poor reviews with critical and consumer reactions so poor bungie quickly realized they had a problem on their hands Mm. they had intended to follow up the game with two smaller dlcs the dark below and house of wolves before releasing their first big story dlc one year later which at this point was titled comet Hmm. but given that people's response to the release of destiny was a massive disappointment they immediately decided to rework it all. A slight problem, given that once again, they were on a strict release schedule due to their contract with Activision, a release mm-hmm. schedule that saw The Dark Below scheduled for release by December 9th, 2014, or just three months after the release of Destiny. But they still completely rework- reworked it, with some sources stating that deal- the DLC was rebuilt from the ground up just nine weeks before launch. <laughs> oh boy. Which it shows... <laughs> the Dark Below is bad. Yeah, I am pretty sure I played it. I don't remember what happened in it. It has a very bad raid in it. Like, you, you call House of Glass bad. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Crota, uh, 
Crota's end, I think it was Crota's end is what it's called. Um, yeah. Is maybe one of the, the final boss encounter in that is maybe one of the worst and was constantly glitched. It was constantly glitched uh, to the point that sometimes you couldn't just, you could just not beat it. Uh, right. Dark Below is where Eris was introduced, huh? Yes. Yes. Because instead what? of having to go say things, it was Eris telling you things. Why does Eris constantly get stuck in the first bad dlc she does yep <laughs> yep poor eris poor can't freaking catch a break first her entire team dies gets subsumed by the hive and then bungie puts her in bad dlcs yep. she's a good character too i like eris she, yeah they do fun things with her i mean i didn't like her at first just because dark below is so bad mm-hmm. and i was like you just seem dour and boring mm-hmm but like many characters in Destiny, they eventually redeem them. Yeah, they they got her. Yeah, they got her. They got her. But yeah, uh, yeah. Neil's to say, Dark Below was bad. Uh, it had four mm. additional story missions, two playable strikes, one that was exclusive to the PlayStation version. <laughs> right. So that's half. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they did provide a new raid. Um, its follow up, The House of Wolves, released in May 2015, somehow had even less to it and was received just as poorly. Mm. That one didn't even have a raid. <laughs> um, so with these lessons learned, Bungie decided they had to just reboot the big story DLC. And I think this is a big reason why House of Wolves was so terrible. Mm. Uh, because they had to release it by December 2015, September 2015 even. Uh-huh. And they renamed it from Comet to The Taken King and decided that maybe, maybe it should have plenty of content, a story, a bunch of new weapons and activities and more. Now, the story of... The Taken King is going to be for another time, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. the third episode of this series. But just to get it out of the way, it's going to be a very successful pivot. Yes. Unlike Destiny, The Taken King would have a Metacritic rating of 88 as opposed to 76 and would become the basis of what Destiny still is today, for better and for worse. It was the first time Destiny players said, no, no, it's good now. The first of many times. The first of many times. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> and to be fair, the Taken King was real good. It was great. It was great. Taken King was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And then the Siva crisis came after that. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we got the Iron Banner, though. Oh, God. I hate the Iron Banner so much. <laughs> God, I hate the Iron Banner. I hate the Triards of participating in the Iron Banner. If you're an Iron Banner fan out there, I'm sorry. I don't like you. Please continue listening to this podcast. Don't don't, don't stop listening. I don't hate you that much. But <laughs> uh, this is just mostly because I hate competitive multiplayer Destiny. But Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, that's going to be a story for another time. Um Specifically two weeks from now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of how we're sitting with Destiny. And next episode, we're going to go over year one, which is going to include the stories of Destiny, uh, House of Wolves, and The Dark Below. Uh, although not necessarily in that order, because that's the wrong order. But don't worry about that. Alex, how are you feeling? I I feel great. I love complaining about Destiny. Yeah, me too. There's a reason why we do this every four months. Yeah, it's just, it is the fact that I I care about it so much. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't even know why I care. Yeah. I don't like it. It's not a game I like to play. I think it's because it's a consistently interesting thing. 
Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of MMOs out there, but there's nothing like Destiny with, like, it's just tragic, like, sine wave of up and downs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. even something like World of Warcraft, like, it's just a constant downward spiral for them. Like, how most MMOs are. They, they hit a peak, and then they just... They coast and he's right. slowly go down in player numbers and whatnot. And mm-hmm. like Destiny, though, is just constantly all over the place with how it wants to like show things off and like, you know, be relevant again in a way that mm-hmm. you just can't help but look at it and be like, oh, see, so okay, now you can use the darkness. That's cool. <laughs> is there a yeah. fundamental difference story wise? No. Oh, no. No, it's it's just other abilities you can use. Oh, the darkness is just ice. Yeah. I, I guess that makes sense. And now it's green. Ooh. That's right. They did add a green power. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's, that's not the darkness. That's a, a third thing. <laughs> oh, I can't wait until we get to Destiny 2, which I, I should point out, Destiny 2 is not going to come right after Destiny 1. Fair. There is yeah. going to be a, a small little break when we do just a few other things, because mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, there's been a lot of video game news that has caused me to be like, I should write an episode about X, and then I would right. give it to something else, because something else nuts would happen. So there'll be a few things in between, but we will probably cover Destiny 2 by the end of the year. Yeah, almost certainly. Almost certainly. But yeah, Alex, thank you for doing this with me as always. Of course. And you, the viewer, if you want to listen to more episodes of Fallen Through Potholes, go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Potholes on your podcast service choice. Uh, leave us a follow and review. Tell your friends about them, about us. Leave in the comments about which Destiny 2 expansion broke you. Was it Forsaken? Was it the Witch Queen? Was it Lightfall? Or are you a degenerate who's just happy with all of it? I wouldn't believe you if you wrote that in no, the comments. No, you're, you're probably not. I don't think that you're happy with all of it. You can't be. It's in, it's absolutely impossible. Are you the one person who liked the pirate one? Shadowkeep exists. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. It was so bad. I'm so upset whenever I get one of those strikes in the rotation. I'm like, ah, damn it. I want to play this. You just wait <laughs> on elevator forever. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, next time we'll uh, we'll talk about the plots of Destiny. So take care, everybody. Take care.